the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. From policy to culture, principles to politics, this is The Seth Liebson Show. Welcome back. Happy January 5th, 2021. As we go through what it means to be a conservative and what conservatism is, it strikes me we may want a brief intercalary pause on what it means to be a Republican, too. This dawned on me as I was reading Phil Boas's editorial in the Arizona Republic this morning, the thesis of which is that there was a Republican civil war going on, and it was started by Donald Trump. Quote, he's starting a civil war in his own party, Boas writes. He also writes, his four years of erratic governance cost him re-election, and his destructive final days will likely cost Republicans many elections to come. He then ponders, quote, what does conservatism mean in our modern world? What are its core principles? Close quote. Question mark. Well, on the latter, he might tune into a show dedicated to answering that question in his own hometown, or he might just read the most famous Arizona Republicans book on the matter, a book that lit up the nation, Barry Goldwater's Conscience of a Conservative, the title helping give an idea of what the book is about, I should think. We've distilled it here many times, but what Boaz writes, and I quote above, is quite telling. His four years, Trump's four years of erratic governance cost him re-election, Boaz says. Interesting notion, that. Maybe. Or maybe it was that there was a left-wing onslaught against Donald Trump from before day one that was unremitting and never let up, joined in by the media. Polls tell us that was the case, to remind Despite the Me Too movement and the media media coverage around it, media research company survey found that 35.5% of Biden voters in November were unaware of the serious allegations of sexual assault by Tara Reid against Joe Biden. I wonder if the Arizona Republic ever wrote about Tara Reid. If they had known about Tara Reid's sexual assault allegations, nearly 9% said they would have changed their vote. This would have flipped all six of the swing states now in the Biden column. Another important story buried by the major media was the Hunter Biden laptop story, which showed that Joe Biden was aware of his son's business dealings in the Ukraine and in communist China. Forty-five percent of Biden voters said they were unaware of that story. And the poll found awareness of the Hunter Biden scandal would have led to nine and a half percent of Biden voters to abandon the Democratic candidate, flipping all six of those states as well. Similar results were found when Biden voters were asked about the other six censored stories, Kamala Harris's radical left-wing policies, positive economic and job reports, Middle East peace deals brokered by Donald Trump, energy independence, and the swift vaccine production as a result of Trump's Operation Warp Speed. Looking at all eight of these issues together, the poll found that a total of 17% of Biden's voters said they would have changed their vote 
if they had been aware of one or more of these important stories. This would have moved every one of the swing states into Trump's column, some by a huge margin was the conclusion. It's always interesting to me that the media's role in affecting an election is downplayed by the media itself. But as for a civil war in the party, one wonders what someone like Boas would have said in 1976 when Ronald Reagan challenged a sitting Republican president. And what it was that cost that sitting president the re-election certainly wasn't erratic behavior, was it? Or what might have been said when Barry Goldwater challenged the party in 1964, running such a campaign of conviction that establishment Republicans like George Romney walked out of the convention. Of course, today, Barry Goldwater is a hero to almost everyone now that he's not in power, of course, or even alive. They like conveying medals on Republicans who are no longer in power or alive as hammers to batter current Republicans over the head with, always writing silly nonsense like, so-and-so would never recognize X, fill in the blank, as a member of his party today, or so-and-so would never recognize today's Republican Party. The funny thing is, when you go back and read the press about those so-and-sos, like Goldwater, like Reagan, the press was saying the same things about them when they were in power and alive as they say about Republican leaders like Donald Trump today. So what is the Republican Party and who started what civil war within it? Let us begin by reminding that from its very beginning, its very first platform in 1856, it was pretty strong medicine, adopting and incorporating what we said yesterday was and must be the essence of American conservatism, the principles of the Declaration of Independence. The first resolution in that first Republican platform in 1856 said this, quote, that the maintenance of the principles promulgated in the Declaration of Independence and embodied in the federal Constitution are essential to the preservation of our republican institutions and that the federal constitutions, the rights of states, and the union of the states must and shall be preserved. The second resolution reaffirmed the first. It said this, quote, that with our Republican fathers we hold it to be a self-evident truth that all men are endowed with the inalienable right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and that the primary object and ulterior design of our federal government is to secure these rights to all persons under its exclusive jurisdiction, close quote. The platform even went on to call slavery and polygamy, and it related the two, quote, twin relics of barbarism, close quote. That's pretty strong medicine. And by the way, the beginning of a party dedicated to promoting and preserving family values. So much for those who contemn the party when it does so today. When it does so today, after all, it is in consonance with the very founding platform that Abraham Lincoln would run on. As for the party today, yes, Goldwater challenged the House in the 1960s, and in that civil war, throwing out the Rockefellers and Romneys from the temple, one might say. He, saw, he solidified a new right. But it was really a new old right, one, say, Calvin Coolidge would have recognized. A new old Republican Party Lincoln, McKinley, and Coolidge would have understood. A new old Republican Party and right wing that Ronald Reagan hewed to and Donald Trump ran on and spoke of. Let us try it this way. Barry Goldwater was not shy about reminding us that our movement should be about more than something than just 
better management of the levers of the state. In his book, he wrote this, quote, The root difference between the conservatives and the liberals of today is that conservatives take account of the whole man, while the liberals tend to look only at the material side of man's nature. The conservative, the conservative believes that man is in part an economic, an animal creature, but that he is also a spiritual creature with spiritual needs and spiritual desires. What is more, these needs and desires reflect the superior side of man's nature and thus take precedence over his economic wants. Conservatism, therefore, looks upon the enhancement of man's spiritual nature as the primary concern of political philosophy. Man's most sacred possession is his individual soul, close quote, Barry Goldwater wrote. The reason conservatives and Republicans disdained big government was not because they were anti-government, but because they were pro-freedom and pro-human soul, knowing the larger the government, the smaller the human. And we were a country founded on the rights of man, not the rights of government, and not the rights of men to govern other, to govern other men without their consent. That's what freedom and equality mean. Donald Trump spoke to this perhaps most loudly to an audience most prepared to hear about it in the summer of 2017 in Poland. He spoke of the godless communist oppressors of Poland and how with the visit of John Paul II, Poles were given what we might call a new birth of freedom. Trump said this to several interruptions of applause, quote, A million Polish people did not ask for wealth. They did not ask for privilege. Instead, one million Poles sang three simple words. We want God. In those words, the Polish people recalled the promise of a better future. They found new courage to face down their oppressors, and they found the words to declare that Poland would be Poland once again. As I stand here today, Trump continued, before this incredible crowd, this faithful nation, we can still hear those voices that echo through history. Their message is as true today as ever. The people of Poland, the people of America, and the people of Europe still cry out, we want God. Together with Pope John Paul II, the Poles reasserted their identity as a nation devoted to God. And with that powerful declaration of who you are, you came to understand what to do and how to live. You stood in solidarity against oppression, against a lawless secret police, against a cruel and wicked system that impoverished your cities and souls, and you won. Close quote. Impoverished cities and souls. That's what conservatism fights. That's what the Republican Party should continue to fight. And if you want the marching orders, go back to Donald Trump's speech at Mount Rushmore last July. He provides the roadmap based on the principles of those men etched into the Black Hills of South Dakota and those who followed them. And if you want to see the line of continuing philosophy from the founding of National Review to the candidacies of Goldwater, Reagan, and Trump, simply read the first issue of National Review, or for that matter, the Sharon Statement of 1960. The principles articulated there, written by William Buckley, quote, Individual freedom and the right of governing originate with God. Political freedom is impossible without economic freedom. Limited government and strict interpretation of the Constitution. The free market system being preferable over all others. 
and communism needing to be defeated, not contained. Those principles are all the same. Perhaps one correction. When I used to write or speak about the Sharon Statement or the National Review Credenda, I said we just need to replace the word communism with Islamism, and we'd have the same effects today. But I don't think I can do that anymore, as never before has it been so popular and a threat communism, perhaps not to Europe anymore, but right here in, within America. Fighting for all that, what Goldwater spoke of, what the original GOP platform spoke of, if that's a civil war we started, already then. But it's a civil war worth fighting. After all, George H.W. Bush, like Jerry Ford, they didn't win second terms either. It's just that their losses weren't based on hewing to principle. And I'd rather lose fighting for principle than lose because I couldn't find one. I'm set for the right now. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show, 602-508-0960. If you're looking for something enlightening and entertaining, go to SalemNow.com and check out Poor to CEO, The Incredible Journey of Herman Cain. Herman was an amazing man. I knew him uh, quite well when I worked in Washington. Uh, he was, of course, the CEO of Godfather's Pizza, uh, he ran for president in 2012. He was a great radio broadcaster. He had an amazing life, and um, he had it because, as he will tell you, the values that he embraced and that we strive to live and pass along to our friends, kids, grandchildren, belief in God, personal responsibility, hard work, good education, gratitude. Poor to CEO is one of the most inspirational and entertaining films of the past year. It's available exclusively at SalemNow.com. Make sure to use discount code or promo code PHOENIX to save 20%. Poor to CEO, the Herman Cain story at SalemNow.com. Delighted to have Chris Llewellyn with us, uh, who is our producer pro tem today. So, Chris, thank you very much for uh, sitting in for Bill, who will be back tomorrow. You are an incredibly shrinking man. How much weight have you lost this past year? We talk we talk about that every time I come in, it's but we an, don't see each other enough. It's more every time you come in. Yeah, I have, I'm just on the precipice of 50 pounds. And how have you done it? Only running. Have You, you haven't changed your eating habits. Much. Oh, yeah, no, no, no. I heavily changed my eating habits. That was a lie. Okay. Complete lie. <laughs> All right. So reverse that. Save the last five seconds. Yeah, Yeah. Uh, monitored my calories and eating pretty hardcore, and then I run or occasion. I'm like 75, 25% running over biking. Wow, 50 pounds. That's yeah. incredible. incredible. Needed it. You feeling better? feel a lot better. You know, I mean, besides just like having overall weight issues, yeah. 
the pandemic and everything yeah. I think was affecting just mental sure. my mental state. Sure. Blood pressure is going up. Sure. And I was on the precipice of a lot of stuff, so yeah. I decided to act. Well, you look great, and Thank you. Uh, congrats to you. You have good running shoes, do you? I did, but I've just worn them out. Time for new shoes, probably. The you know, importance so, of new so running shoes. You get so excited when you get new running shoes. Yeah. You get super excited yeah. about it, and yeah. then you don't realize you should probably have a collection of them. Yeah, you should. will tear through them. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I have about eight pairs of running shoes. I do indeed. You know, there's another thing I wanted to say about um, Donald Trump's presidency and this line of Phil Boas's in today's Arizona Republic where he writes that his four years of erratic governance cost him re-election. You, you can say it was erratic governance. There's, there's a case to be made that he is erratic, um, a very fair case, a very good case to be made. But there's also a case to be made um, that he was very successful. And it's hard to gainsay the successes of this administration if you're being honest. And you can go from form to domestic policy and thinking it might have been the most successful conservative presidency in most of our lifetimes, if not beyond. It's not just that, as a Republican, he cut taxes. It's that those tax cuts created millions of jobs, over four million jobs, and put a lot more money, thousands of dollars, into each individual's pocket. More Americans employed than ever before in our history. Economic growth hitting numbers people said we could never hit. Stock market climbing to places people said it would never go. African American, Hispanic American, Asian American, female um, unemployment, lowest unemployment at the lowest rates. Um, in some cases, ever recorded. Um, so all of that on the economic and domestic front, to say nothing of energy independence, to say nothing of um, all kinds of other uh, domestic policies that included the Keystone and Dakota pipelines, all of that. And then on the foreign policy front, doing the kinds of things that other presidents got peace prizes for. Jimmy Carter was the recipient of a peace prize for putting together a peace accord between Israel and Egypt. Well, Donald Trump did better than that. He did countries like the Sudan and Israel. The Sudan. The Sudan, which was the heart of darkness in the Arab world of terrorism. The Sudan where Arafat, Yasser Arafat, used to live. The Sudan where Osama bin Laden used to live. The Sudan where the PLO issued its nose. No negotiation, no peace, no surrender. Um, and, of course, several other Arab countries that now include perhaps the most important Arab country of all, Saudi Arabia, um, disrupting and taking ISIS out of Syria, the headquarters of its caliphate. All of this without firing a shot. What do I mean by without firing a shot? Because, of course, shots were fired. I mean the same thing Margaret Thatcher meant 
when she said Ronald Reagan brought down the Soviet Union without firing a shot when, of course, all kinds of rifles were fired in places like Nicaragua and El Salvador. Of course there were, but without any major wars. Without any major wars. Erratic presidency case can be made. He's an erratic person. I get it. But hugely successful. Hugely successful. I'm Seth Leibson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Delighted to have John Dombrowski with us. 34 past the hour means it's our culture and economy update that he gives us every day. He of Grand Canyon Planning. Grand Canyon Planning.com is his website for Grand Canyon Planning Associates. JD, happy Tuesday. How you doing? Hey, I'm doing fantastic. How about you, Seth? I'm doing just fine. I'm doing just fine. Big day. Uh, we yeah. talked about uh, what happens in Georgia. Waiting Could to hear. determine what happens, not just with the U.S. economy, but the world economy. Yes, so, yes. Yeah. Talking about the lost decade you bet. again, and this, another lost decade, possibly. Yeah, possibly. I want to get to some of that. This story is kind of interesting. You know, people uh, keep moving forward. Uh, states and cities keep moving forward with this boosting of the minimum wage. Yes. New York is mm-hmm. doing it, and uh, I see they're moving on the way to fifteen dollars an hour. They put it at they put in one in Long Island in Westchester County at fourteen dollars an hour. A lot right. of businesses are balking at this. Well, yeah, obviously restaurant businesses yeah. would be the difficult ones to deal with something like this, or or any business right now that has had shutdowns. And to have to, I was, you know, I went to lunch this afternoon, actually, in a restaurant here. I won't mention the name, but I went to lunch and a restaurant that normally would be packed was uh, empty, virtually empty. There were maybe four tables that were being served in the restaurant. And I'm thinking to myself, this is a big, big publicly traded company that owns this restaurant. And and they can withstand some of this, right? Yeah. But, boy, that small business, that small restaurant that we would normally go to, they may have to shut down because of all of this. They can't keep up with the with, with the regulations that are being put in place. And now they're going to say when you do bring people back or if you do still have uh, employees on your payroll, you're going to have to increase your wages. This is just not the right time, and that's what the businesses are basically saying in, in the state of New York. It's not the right time for this. Yeah, the big ones can hold on just a little longer than the small ones, although I see in a different industry, I don't know if you if this caught your eye, um, I saw that Macy's is shutting 45 stores, Yeah, um, they've announced. Mm-hmm. Weird thing to say right after the Christmas season, you know, Miracle on 34th Street and Macy's and all that. Exactly, <laughs> exactly right. But, but what is interesting, too, uh, we, we are seeing as jobs have been declining in these uh, smaller businesses, yes, the restaurant-related businesses, we are seeing jobs increasing in certain industries across uh, America, which is really the warehouses and, and the shipping companies and such. They need people, and you, you hear the advertisements on, on the radio even, uh, where trucking companies are, are giving bonuses to drivers. They're trying to get new people. They need more people. 
to uh, deliver goods and services. And this is because of all of the online businesses that are that are able to serve the products. Do you expect this issue of hiking the minimum wage to be something that's going to dominate economic po- policy or economic poli- politics discussions for some time? Because I, I, I have to worry if that is the case. Um, I understand how it is good for some workers, but I worry about much larger job losses. CBO a couple years ago, two years ago, I think it was, put out a study showing that a boost to the uh, of the minimum wage to $15 at the federal level, right. which is what New York is contemplating, um, can lead I think, to m- think, over a million in job losses. Yeah, and I think incoming, uh, you know, Vice President-elect, yeah. President-elect <laughs> Joe Biden yeah. is, is talking about sure that, he is. creating the $15 sure is. Uh, national minimum wage. Yeah. That's... that's you think about the cost of living across the country, how variations well, that's you know, from the other state thing. to state. Right. Yeah. Fifteen dollars in New York is not fifteen dollars exactly. in Tuscaloosa. Uh, exactly right, Seth. So it's going to be it's going to be a real uh, a difficult thing for a lot of businesses out there. And when it comes to you think about the economy, uh, business larger businesses have a way to adapt. What do they do? The, one of their largest expenses is payroll. Mm-hmm. So if their payroll expense is going to go up per person. You're probably going to see reduction in force on a lot of these companies to maintain a, a positive balance sheet for their investors. You know, these are publicly traded companies. They are trying to create profits for their investors. Sure. Uh, as as an investment advisor, my job, is, of course, is to pick companies uh, that can hopefully return a, a profit so that we can see the stock price rise for my clients and improve their financial position as well. So. It's this vicious cycle, and it, it just really starts at the top and works its all, way all the way down to the streets. And we're, we're in the middle of that as well with our clients trying to always find the best place for them to put their money so that we can get the best performance and best returns for our clients. But it's a challenge sometimes. Thank you, Jay. The next 10 years may be a challenge. Well, we'll listen to you closely on it. All right, Securities and Advisory Services offered to Client One Securities LLC, a member of FINRA and CIPIC, and an investment advisor, Grand Canyon Planning Associates LLC, and Client One Securities LLC are not affiliated, but I'm always an optimist. I know you are, and I like that you are. Yes. Thank you, John Dabrowski. You bet. Talk tomorrow. You bet. Back to the Seth Leibson Show, 602-508-0960. We have some great promos running on this station, Chris, and that's due to your good work. I wanted to thank you for that. Um, gotten a lot of nice feedback on them. You have a really good eye and ear, really good ear for uh, what uh, what we as conservatives believe and uh, what we who listen to this uh, station believe. And it's really one about conservative political philosophy and Gosh, those Goldwater and Reagan things. Nice, nice work. It was good working with you on that. Thank you. Yeah, and people should know. Yeah, you play a role in those as well. well you are, you sorry. are, a, 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 <laughs> on the back end of um, pushing up a lot of that stuff. No, you really are. Like you push me in that direction. I can't do what you do. Anyway, come on. Mu- mutual corruption society here. Charles writes. Critics of President Trump like to accuse him of being ignorant and an embarrassment on the world stage. But in 2017, President Trump gave a speech in Poland 
As I was saying, he talked about liberty and freedom and courage against oppression. It was reminiscent of speeches made by JFK, like Ich, mein Ber ich bin ein Berliner, or Ronald Reagan, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Media anchors like to say jokes, like Trump couldn't find Poland on a map or something like that. But in his speech in Poland, he voiced the ideas that the once Soviet countries like Poland share with our republic, and he encouraged their love of bringing back God to their lives. Trump didn't apologize for America or make fun of its people. The Polish people wouldn't have appreciated that any more than we over here want to hear such nonsense. When Trump leaves the world stage that so many thought he would embarrass us on, we'll miss what he did to promote America overseas. We may not realize it for a while, but I for one don't look forward to the pandering and bloviating. We will hear from Joe Biden. I think that's really well said, Charles. Um, one of the interesting things about uh, the Trump presidency looking backwards is what editorialists claim and say about it and say he stood for, and then the speeches themselves. Blessedly, people can access those speeches because they're transcribed permanently on the Internet for those willing to do so. It's just much easier, I suppose, for most people to go with the media narrative that uh, who even remembers Donald Trump's Poland speech? I, I was happy to bring it up in my monologue because I remember when he gave it in 2017, I said, my gosh, this speech, you can attribute it to the speechwriters if you want, but he approved it and he delivered it and he probably put his hand on it as every president does with a speech written by speechwriters. Um, this, this speech is the essence of what unites freedom-loving peoples like the Polish are and the struggle they went through. And that's why I concluded in uh, my monologue, I hope I'm wrong, but I think I'm right, that communism as an ideology, maybe not as a party, but as an ideology, it threatens the United States today much more than it threatens Europe. And the reason is the same exact reason that the most ardent supporters of Donald Trump for his re-election were people who moved here from Eastern Europe, people who didn't need to hear about communism from Harvard or Stanford or the University of Colorado because they lived with it. They lived under it. They knew what it represented, and they smelled the whiff of it and saw what it was in the Democratic Party, whether it was the challenge to so many of our social and familial associations, um, whether it was the challenge to language, whether it was the dissolution of the family, whether it was economic seizure, whether it was... Um, whether it was uh, radical environmentalism, whether it was what you say, Charles, what Charles wrote, which was downgrading America or depreciating America on the and her leadership role on the world stage. See, the thing is, we often say things and, and don't really apply the merits of what they mean specifically to what, what it is we say. For example, when we say things like... And, really it goes back to Spinoza, nature abhors a vacuum. Um, it's true, but someone f always fills that vacuum. And the question is, is it going to be freedom and liberty or tyranny and socialism or communism? What's going to fill the vacuum? And 
and so it's not just so easy to say America can afford to apologize and retreat on the world stage and from you know international um, inter- international strength because if it's not us, it's China. If it's not us, it's China. Once upon a time, it was us at the Soviet Union. Right now, I think China is the stronger than Russia. And it's an adage that still holds true, which is if you want to know what a country will do to other people, look at what it does to its own people. Look at what it does to its own people. There's a piece in the New York Times today, very odd piece in the New York Times today, about a man who has left China and then went back because in the era of COVID, he found China's lockdowns to be much less severe than anything else in the Western world, including in America. So he has freedom of movement, and he has the ability to engage in commerce. He admits he doesn't have freedom of speech, doesn't have freedom of religion, But he has the freedom to move and work, or at least since he doesn't, you know, uh, depend on employment, to engage in commerce, to go to a restaurant, to go to a store. He has that freedom in China. Well, what price that freedom? Is that worth the price of surrendering freedom of speech and freedom of religion? Once upon a time, and you can still hear speeches of Ronald Reagan talking about this, even as president in the early 1980s, it's, 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 it's kind of a horrific thing to think about. But there once was this ethos of better dead than red because better to live a free man than live as a slave to a tyranny. And we used to believe that in this country. And when you have organs like the New York Times or expatriates from America who are saying they are willing to give up what we consider our first or what we think of as First Amendment rights, speech, religion, the right to live without censorship or monitored uh, behavior 24 hours a day, seven days a week, just in order to engage in commerce, you really have to wonder about um, big technocracy and you have to worry about at what price. This is why I have such contempt for the NBA and Colin Kaepernick. Uh, They profit, Nike, the NBA, they profit off slave labor in China, in the Xinjiang province, of course. They lobbied, they put up millions of dollars just this past year, just this past quarter in November of 2020. Millions of dollars, companies like Nike did, to lobby against an anti-Xinjiang um, trade uh, uh, provision uh, trade law, while they lecture the United States about the oppression of minorities here, they lecture the United States about the oppression of minorities, using Colin Kaepernick as their mouthpiece as they profit off not slave labor from 155 years ago, slave labor today.
Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. Our phone number is 602-508-0960. Your show for the next hour, and then Hugh and Lewis Hallman will join us as they do every Tuesday in our third hour. I want to credit uh, my friend and a listener named Steve, who uh, a couple years ago sent me something I mentioned in my monologue, which is known as the Sharon Statement. And it was a proclamation in 1960 that was crafted at uh, in Sharon, Connecticut, at the home of uh, William Buckley. It was um, it was crafted as part and parcel of the creation of you know the new right or the new conservative movement that the Young Americans for Freedom were an important cadre of. Uh, so you first had National Review, then you had the Sharon Statement and the Young Americans for Freedom. And then you had, of course, the book Conscience of a Conservative and the Candidacy of Barry Goldwater, which is why I'm always looking back in astoundment. If that's is that the right way to say it? I'm always look at, looking back somewhat astounded, perhaps that's better, somewhat astounded when conservatives and journalists talk about how much of a departure we are from traditional conservatism, because what 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 do they mean? They need to define what traditional conservatism is to them. Is it Jerry Ford? Is it George H. W. Bush? Is that their idea of conservatism, or is it um, is it you know the people we would put if we had a Mount Rushmore of conservatives uh, that we would etch into those uh, in, into that whatever edifice it would be. Who would be on? Who would be on that edifice? It would be, uh, I would propose, off the top of my head, um, of course, William Buckley. Um, I think it would uh, include uh, Milton Friedman. Uh, I think it would be uh, Barry Goldwater. I think it would be Ronald Reagan. Uh, and you know, if you want, if you want to keep it to four faces, that that would be the that would be the Mount Rushmore of conservative: Buckley, Friedman, uh, Goldwater, and Reagan. That would be your four. And you look at what they stood for, <clears throat> and then you ask yourself, where have we departed as conservatives? What is it that this Republican president stood for that they wouldn't have? So go look at the Sharon statement. Um, it states, the foremost among the transcendent value is that individuals' use of his God-given free will once derives his right to be free from the restrictions of arbitrary force. That liberty is indivisible. And that political freedom cannot long exist without economic freedom. That the purpose of government is to protect those freedoms through the preservation of internal order, the provision of national defense, and the administration of justice. Look at the judges. Look at the increased budget to the military and support of the military. And look at the support for police. More importantly... Look at what the other side wants to do with all those things, starting with law enforcement. Where has this president departed? He has not. I think the departure is from journalists who don't understand or bother to look at history. 